The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Welcome back to another edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. I am the namesake. Thank you for joining us once again this week. This is a podcast about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley area, West Virginia and Ohio. This is Season 4, Episode 8. If you haven't already done so, like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. New episodes drop every Wednesday on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Rate us and review us if you haven't done so already. We have a jam-packed episode today. Before the end of the show, you'll hear from Ritchie County Head Coach Rick Hott, St. Mary's Head Coach Jody Mote, Parkersburg High School Head Coach Mike Bias and Parkersburg South head coach Nathan Tanner. We'll also talk about rivalries with Tara Malone, our statewide correspondent. But first, let's get into the action from last week, and we saw some amazing contests last week. How about Ritchie County rallying from 20 down to win a wild 50-48 to overtime contest against Wahama? Kudos to the White Falcons. They led 36-22 to at the half, and they ran for 370 yards on 54 carries, but they were no match for Ritchie County's offense. Ritchie County, by the way, only led this game at 50 50 to 48. At no other point did they lead. They got the ball second in overtime after Wahama had scored a touchdown and then missed their two-point try. Richie scored the touchdown to tie it, and then Ethan Hot's two-point conversion run gave the Rebels the win on their only lead of the night. It's amazing, but still, 538 total yards for Richie County. Even when we've seen Richie win in the last year and a half or so, they don't typically do that. This is a team that's good offensively. They've got a lot of weapons. Again, we've talked a lot about Gus Morrison, the senior, the reigning LKC player of the year. We've talked a lot about Hot, who as a junior is in his third year as a starter. But still, we've not seen anything this scary and this lethal out of this group. And if you need any kind of indication on how dangerous this offense can be, I think the Rebels just serve notice to the rest of Class A that they can put up some gaudy numbers. Let's get back to Hot, though. In addition to the game-winning two-point conversion, he racked up 434 total yards, 103 of them on the ground, on, I believe, 11 carries, so not a ton of carries. He was 16 of 26, throwing the ball for 333 yards, four passing touchdowns to three different receivers, two rushing scores, and a fourth receiver caught one of the two-point tries. So Hot was able to distribute the ball well, ran it well himself, which could speak just as much to Wahama's defense as anything else. But Hot absolutely carved up the White Falcons. This has to be his virtuoso performance so far in his high school career. But still, if you needed convincing 50 points out of this Rebel offense and 438 total yards, but the downside, this is a defense that gave up 48 points to Wahama and put themselves in a pretty big hole that they had to get out of. And if you're St. Mary's and you're sitting back watching Richie County do this, this is exactly the last kind of game that you would want to see the Rebels have in a situation like this, where you're going to face them next week because they've flexed their muscles on offense, and they're also ticked off on defense to where they want to do better. And oh, by the way, they're ticked off at you because you were the team that got the state championship when they didn't get the chance to play you for it. This game has been circled for a long time. I don't care what they say at Ritchie County. It'll be interesting to hear what Rick Hott has to say about this when we talk to him later in the program. But either way, if you're St. Mary's, you have to 
to be thinking this is not how you want to face Ritchie County. Uh, you don't have the choice in the matter. Ritchie County goes to 2-0. and St. Mary's is 1-1. and Those two teams are going to square off in a game you're going to hear a lot about on this podcast today and on Countdown to Kickoff this week on our company stations. Let's get to the Big Reds in South. PHS got a big game from Bryson Singer and a 20-20 win versus Capital. Their first of the season, so PHS avoids going into that South game at 0-3, which was a very real possibility. Bryson Singer, though, let's get back to him. 32 carries, 206 yards, 4 touchdowns. He also caught a couple balls receiving, didn't throw it a ton. They primarily used David Parsons to be that passing quarterback. But as good as Singer was, I think the real takeaway from this game for PHS is the defense, because I saw Capitals offense. It's young, they have good skill talent, and a lot of speed at the skill positions. But they were held to just 188 passing yards at a sophomore quarterback, Ja'Kai Long. Capital is a tough 0-3, by the way, because their three losses are South, South Charleston, and PHS. And Capital lost to the Parkersburg schools by a combined nine points. On top of that, Capital held both South and PHS to below 30 points. And when you do that, you're not guaranteed to win, but you got a good shot to win a ball game with an offense like what Capital has. And still, here they come away at 0-3. So PHS got the kind of game they needed from Bryson Singer, but they also got a shutdown effort from a defense that is quietly getting better and keeping the Big Reds in playoff contention. Parkersburg South got a big game from Robert Shockey in a 61-13 win over Woodrow Wilson. Shockey threw three scores, two of them to Tristan Walker. We'll get to him in just a few moments. He ran for two more. Shockey racked up 309 total yards of offense. He also connected with Cyrus Traw 11 times or 155 yards and a touchdown. Traw ran it four times for 66 yards and two scores, so he got his yards on the ground. But Tristan Walker, who had been injured and missed the first two games, a big, big, big addition to this receiving core for Parkersburg South. He's a big guy. He he runs well. It's like having a tight end at a wide-out position. He is to high school-wide receiving what the college tight end has become. A big, lanky guy that can go up and get the ball. He can win jump ball battles. He can really stretch the field and help take the top off of defenses along with Cyrus Trot. There were a few times where South's receivers seemed to run the wrong routes, and that might have been a little bit of the inexperience of Walker. But when he and Traw get on the same page, especially with quarterback Robert Shockey, this passing game by the end of the year has a chance to be something special for Parkersburg South. And Tristan Walker is going to be a huge cog in that if they can keep him on the field. Williamstown wins again. They got another big game out of Max Melissa. He threw for two touchdowns, ran for two. The passes were to Lewis Goodnow and Logan White. So again, Williamstown with a win over Ravenswood and the Yellow Jackets seem to be rolling this season and getting back to where they want to be. Frontier took a step back and a 44-6 loss to Cameron. Cameron came in at 2-0, Frontier at 3-0, and Frontier probably facing the best opposition they faced all season. Cameron was a team that got a lot of attention last year as one of those teams that we all looked at and we're like, hey, they're going to be pretty good next year. And they proved it. This is probably their best win as well. Knocking off a pretty good Frontier Ball Club 44-6. to River fell by 30-1 to Warren in a game that was scheduled late. In fact, I don't even think we talked about River Warren on this broadcast. We talked about River Magnolia. That, by the way, did not happen because of COVID issues in Wetzel County that prompted Magnolia High School to go to remote learning and their extracurriculars to be shut down. That's also going to impact them this week as well as Magnolia's scheduled game will not happen. Magnolia was supposed to welcome Cameron, and that game is already listed as postponed. We'll let you know if we hear about a reschedule for that sometime down the road. But about River, they lost to Warren by 30. Warren's a good ball club, and what happened there is when Magnolia had to back out of that game, River was able to link up with Warren who themselves were in need of an opponent because of the Logan, Ohio Chieftains that had to back out because they had some COVID issues there. It was homecoming at Warren, so uh, River was a uh, shoe that fit nicely, essentially, for the Warren Warriors. Unfortunately, it didn't go well for Mike Flannery's ball club.
Nashville. They fell by 30. They go to 2-2 two two on the season. Marietta won their second straight game. They got six touchdown runs by Zach Bartlett and a 40-12 win over Richard Wright. That's a charter school out of D.C., we think. Uh, Bartlett, with those six touchdown runs, now has 11 touchdown runs in his last two games. That's got to be a pretty impressive eight-day stretch for one player. I don't imagine there are too many other players in the area that have 11 touchdown runs in eight days like Zach Bartlett does. That's a season for a lot of people. He had five last week in their overtime win against Athens and six this past Friday. So Bartlett is off to a pretty good run here this season. Marietta goes to 2-2, two and two, and uh, they will face Ripley this week. By the way, Richard Wright out of D.C., there were more than a few people that said to me, who the crap is Marietta playing? To paraphrase, <laughs> there were some different words used in the place of crap, if you know what I mean, but I don't know. I didn't know either. But either way, they beat Dick Wright 40-12 to 12 on Friday. Tyler Consolidated got into the win column with a shutout win over South Harrison. Uh, South Harrison, I think, was a team that people were expecting to be maybe a little bit better than they've proven early this season. Tyler Consolidated with a ringing 40 to nothing win. Payton City had a narrow loss. They went on the road to Montcalm, and they lost by a score. You like to see the fight in these Wildcats after their opener against Frontier. They were out there for a little over two quarters before they had to call it quits. They ran out of healthy bodies. They go on the road to Hancock, Maryland, and they get a win. And then they go on the road to Montcalm, and they compete. Finally, though, the Wildcats are going to get a home game. First time they've been home since the first week of September in 2020. Remember, they were limited to just two games last year. So their second game of the season, Labor Day weekend last year, was the last time the Peyton City Wildcats have played in front of their home fans. It's been a full year, but they will host Trinity out of Morgantown tonight. It's a good schedule for these Peyton City Wildcats. It's competitive. It's one that's going to keep them in a lot of games where they're going to have some chances to win some games. So good for Peyton City to go out on the road and compete against Montcalm. We'll see what they do as they welcome Trinity this week. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. As we've said before, this area has two huge rivalry matchups this week, so let's get right inside both of those. St. Mary's and Ritchie County meet in a game we'll air on Light Rock 93R. I visited with both head coaches this week. First, we'll hear from St. Mary's head coach Jody Moat. We talked a little bit about their matchup with Ravenswood two weeks ago, how they came out of their bye week and what they expect this week as they take on the Rebels. Coach, one of the things that your team struggled with against Roan County was to finish drives and to finish things off in the red zone. What changed against Ravenswood a couple weeks ago? I just think with our guys, I mean, we have 10 guys that we've had to replace on the offensive side, and we've had eight that we've had to replace on the defensive side. So I think the 10 on the offensive side, I just think learning everything, you know what I mean? From our, us as a staff to those guys as, as the players, trying to get everything to gel together, I, best, I guess is the, the best way to, to say it. That's progress that the guys have made. And take nothing away from Rome County. Rome County, they had a nice defense and they had a nice team. Definitely, uh, if you could play those red zone uh, opportunities over again, obviously you'd want to do that. But that's the thing with these guys. I think they'll they'll improve as the year goes. It's just a matter of being able to do it without any you know, major losses. You know what I mean? Your defense is turning into a unit you can hang your hats on this year. Is that kind of how you saw things going as the year went on? Jay Powell, he, he uh, calls our defense. He does a great job. And our assistant coaches do a great job of coaching the guys up in their individual positions. So um, people have told me, you know, your defense is going to be ahead of your offense. So th- th- that's a positive part in a way that, you know, your guys have gotten hit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that that's a positive that they'll play physical. But like I said, they're they're growing up each week, each day actually. And then 
and turns into weeks. Just name back through the years and, and just take certain individuals who, you know, this particular phase of, of the game and, and their high school career. And then by the time they ended up being seniors, you know, it's kind of neat seeing, seeing that progression. That pass rush of yours is really doing a nice job to set up takeaways by getting to the quarterback. Has that come along and maybe been better than you expected it would be this early in the year? Well, I mean, obviously we felt like our defensive line there was going to be one of our strengths because out of our three guys that return on the defensive side, they're all up front. They're defensive end, defensive tackle, and, and other defensive tackles. So Cody, Riley, and Wyatt. You know, I'll, I'll play the, the down down lineman there on the uh, defensive front. So, so that didn't surprise me. You know, obviously um, they're doing what they're supposed to do, playing well, and uh, that's what we got to continue to do. Having a bye this early in the season, what did you use it to do? We just worked on the fundamentals, worked on the things that, that we didn't do well in the first two games and, and just try to progress because that's what you want to do, offense and defense and special teams. So so that's what we've done. And, uh, you know, I felt like the guys have done a great job in, in, in doing that as far as uh, having, having an open week year after your second game, which, you know, ideally you'd want to have a midseason or in the season or whatever. Sometimes I like it when it's high, you just play straight through. So I told the guys tonight, I said, I said our three seniors, I said that were with our uh, guys that play on Friday night right now, I told them, I said, and it would go for the guys that, you know, all of our seniors. You know, they're guaranteed eight games. That is without COVID or an injury. You know, that's all they have. So that's hard to believe. Eight weeks of football and you're done. And that's something that kind of hits home, I think. Ritchie County scored a lot of points last week, but they also gave up a lot of points. What do you take away from an opponent that played a game like that? Well, first of all, as a fan of the game of football that was an awesome game to watch it just was i mean how are you going to duplicate that one you wouldn't want to coach in but probably one you want to watch uh, it would definitely be a, a well actually the midland trail game last year that was a, that was a uh, similar situation you know no it's just one of those fun ones to watch but we turned around and played well against Pendleton County and for end up being the championships defensively so you know i don't take anything away from away from that part of it. I just think it's two good or great offensive schemes that night, personnel that, that played well and uh, you know, just put that many points on the board. Here's a question I bet I wish you had the answer to. Ethan Hawks become quite a running and a passing threat. How do you stop a guy who does both well? To be honest with you, they're just so, so, so explosive and, he, and he's a real deal at the quarterback position. Uh, being able to run a, a sneak for a 60-yard touchdown, you know, in normal offenses, you have to run a dive to do that, you know. He's just a very athletic kid uh, among many of uh, the guys that they have on uh, on that team that are very, very athletic. He's just a great player, and Coach Hall, he, him and his staff, they've done a great job. So, I mean, they're in a uh, whole lot you can say other than, you know, you just got to go fight and uh, – Play the best you can. Your team's got to have a pretty big target on your back as state champions, but especially with these guys coming as state champions. Uh, what kind of things do you say to your team to prepare them for that? Uh, I've told them every team you play is going to have the state championship. I mean, these are. I mean, if I was the coaching next year, if you're not going to win the state championship, I'd be doing the same thing in the plan playing the state champions. So, you know, my other side of it is we're not even ranked in the Metro News, and, and they're two, I believe, and, and Dodgers was five, and I think Dodgers plays them the following week. So they've got a big ball game with 
Doddridge too coming up. So I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they'll use it, use it, but it's just is what it is. You know, I, I guarantee one thing: I wouldn't trade that championship or, or the ring for not having a target on your back. You just expect everyone's best shot at this point. Yep, and hopefully we'll give our best shot. You know, but um, but, but we've got to. Um, you know, go execute in all three phases and play tough. You know, I think the guys have worked hard, so they've bought into what we're trying to do. We're just trying to get better as a staff. We're trying to get better as as, as players, as a team. So we're, we're just, again, thankful to be able to play the game of football. Very good. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate the coverage, Eric. Thank you very much. That's St. Mary's head coach Jody Moat. On the flip side of things, Ritchie County was involved in a wild win last week against Wahama. They only led in their 50-48 overtime win on the game's final play, a two-point conversion from Ethan Hot after Hot scored in overtime to pull the Rebels back into a tie with the White Falcons. I sat down with Ritchie County head coach Rick Hot. We talked about his offense to this point, and we talked about how wild last week's game was and some of the things they'll fix, and we talked about what they'll expect out of St. Mary's this week. Coach, let's start with last week's game. There's good and there's bad there. You scored a lot of points. The Rebels also give up a lot of points. What's the takeaway there out of a game like that? Well, you know, it's interesting. You say it that way. From a fan's perspective, they thought it was a great game. Offensively, we did do some really nice things, and I think we took a step in that direction. That's probably the best our passing game has ever looked. And, of course, on the downside, we're more worried about what, what we weren't doing on the defensive side. I think there were some things that kind of maybe led to that. We were coming off of a bye week, and I think you struggle mentally keeping kids together on a bye week and trying to realize that you need to still keep working on stuff. And we got a little lackadaisical with our tackling and things like that. And so things that we're, we're working on this week to try to shore up. And, of course, you know, the best thing about playing a game is that it's like test day. You evaluate where you're at and what you're doing, and then and then you figure out what you need to really focus on the next week. And so, the way the game turned out, it may have been a wake-up call, while not penalizing us because we were able to pull that out. Well, let's ask the obvious question that people are going to want addressed: Was this team looking ahead to St. Mary's? No, you know, I I gave them that out after the game that I said, you know, maybe that's a trap game because not only this Friday night but next Friday night is the two big ones that we've kind of circled on our calendar, if you want to use those terms, uh, for a while. And we handled Wahama pretty easily last year. We only had one game film on them that all the kids could watch, and they played a very good West Muskie Kingdom team, and they handled Wahama pretty well in what was Wahama's first game of the season, but that's not what I saw. I saw a very good West Musk Kingdom team that Wahama jumped up on 14-0, and I saw what their offense was doing, and I, I'm still extremely impressed with what uh, Wahama has done with their offense, and, and I think they've done a great job of putting their kids in exactly the right offense to make them the best team that they can be. Well, speaking of offense, things look good for yours. Even when you've had success here in your time as head coach, this team has not put video game numbers on the board. 500-plus yards of offense, 50 points. What led to that, and is, is this team clicking as well as you'd imagined? Uh, I don't think we're clicking yet to where we need to be. I thought game one against Tyler, I thought we ran the ball well. We didn't throw the ball well at all. Well, we had the bye week, and we knew what we wanted to do with the passing game, so we worked hard on the bye week of trying to get a passing game in, and, and I think you you saw the results of that Friday night. Good reason. We could have run the ball more than we did, but because we had dug ourselves such a deficit, comes a time constraint. We start airing it out, and, and as you mentioned, it, it did click. 
not only was kind of Ethan had his best game of his career to where the game seemed to slow down for him. He was reading defenses better than he ever has and kind of knowing where to go with the ball. And, and we had guys running great routes and making some great catches. I made a comment to the team after the game. I said, there's three phases of the passing game. The quarterback has to make the reads and, and throw the ball well. The receivers have to run good routes and, and catch the ball. But we were good up front, too. We were giving him time. I think he, he took one sack, was flushed just a couple times. The rest of the time, he had time to really look and, and let things develop downfield. Are you at least breaking him of the idea that it's okay sometimes to throw an interception versus taking sacks in certain situations or at least the stigma of throwing an interception? Because I know that was something he struggled with last year. He did a good job not letting the, the sack bother him. I won't lie to you. He was still ticked when he came off the field after the pick. It's kind of one of those situations where we're, I needed a pass play, but we were on the 10-yard line. I thought, well, we're too close for a lot of this stuff, so we got to play in a little bit late, and then we were rushed and didn't execute it well, and, and, and just all of that, all that together. We watched it on film, and is he the point yet that he think, hey, probably just should throw the ball away here? But he tried to throw the ball away a couple times last year and got grounding penalties, so, you know, he's a little gun-shy there, and so we still may be working on that, but he only had one the one questionable throw where he threw it in traffic the other night. That was it. Everything else was just, it was one of those nights where he was just spot on. Getting it done with his legs to over 100 yards rushing, is that something you're building into this offense this year that really hasn't been there to that extent in years past? Or is that a product of him seeing something break down in coverage and taking off? I think we've wanted to move toward that. I mean, I kind of thought watching this summer that he would have the ability that we could put some stuff in to where we could utilize his legs. And for the aspect, too, I knew teams was was just going to cover Gus up pretty bad. And so for a while, if we can find other people eventually, defenses are going to have to readjust to some of our receivers to the fact that Ethan can now pull the ball or we can set up some run plays for him. And and I think that will open Gus's game back up. It's just all based on trying to diversify the offense to where we're harder to defend. But uh, I don't know if he had 100 yards rushing all last season. It was good to see that and good for him. And I I can say it makes us better. Is that something you kind of have to remind Gus to? You know, maybe the numbers aren't there where he would like them to be early in the year as far as touches and production numbers too. But you just kind of have to tell him, hey, you know, we're doing some things right now, but we will get back to you and we will there will be time for you and space for you in this offense. Yeah, and so far he's been really good about that. I mean, we've moved him around a little bit to try to get an opportunity for him because we still need to get him the ball because he's such a talent. But I do really believe that couple other guys stood uh, stepped up the other night and made some nice catches to where teams can't say, hey, we just can't take Gus Morrison away, or they're going to go to this kid or this kid. And so it's going to open some things back up. And like I say, each game, each team defends you a little bit differently. And so we're working towards being diverse enough that we'll just take whatever a defense will give us. Speaking of defense, there is the side of the, the ball that saw a lot of run game last week. Was it just a matter last week of Wahama running the ball so much that you guys wore down a little bit? Or uh, were there things schematically or, or, or systemically that were breakdowns in your defense? I, I think a combination of uh, schematically, we we weren't where we needed to be. But I will also say I'm, I'm anxious to watch Wahama as they move forward because I think they're going to give a lot of teams on their schedule fits with their offense because 
they're set up to do what they do, and they do a nice job, and and you have to be very disciplined on defense, and you have to have people that can tackle in space. And so, like I say, that was a wake-up call for our defense that they've got to, we've got to really focus on being where we need to be and being able to make tackles when we get there. And, I, and I'm not so sure. I mean, we've talked about this too. Does the defense think that, ah, we'll be okay, we can score a lot of points? And so, you know, that's kind of a trap game too. So yeah. uh, we're not always going to score 50 points. There's going to be some good defenses that we face, and things aren't going to always come that easy. So we have to shore that side of the ball up. And sure one side of the ball doesn't write a check that they know the other one can cash? Yeah, uh, kind of like that, right. Because some night that's not going to happen. How much is this team, if at all, motivated by the way things went down toward the end of last year with St. Mary's? They're your next-door neighbor. You've heard the chatter all season long. State champions this, state champions that, and you didn't get the chance to play. Is that a motivating factor at all in this locker room? We don't really talk about not getting to play St. Mary's in that game last year so much because it just is what it is. But I do think the fact that years and years and years St. Mary's has just been across the ridge, that's a close opponent and all our kids know their kids and shoot with the vocational school. You know, a lot of them are together every day. And so I just think that's what makes it the rivalry. And regardless of that situation last spring, it's St. Mary's. And so, you know, you want to play well against your, your local teams. And a team that has been in Class A, one of the, the powers in the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, yeah, very solid program. And they don't have the athletes. I don't think they had a year ago, or they're still young before they get back to that. But Coach Moach done a nice job with them, and they're playing really solid ball. And, you know, to his credit, they're, they're having a nice season. Struggled in the red zone in week one, and then in week two, they really found some things in the running game. Is that what makes it tough to scout a team and figure out what they can do after two games? Or do you kind of have enough time, or have you had enough time to get a sense of what they do and who they are? I think with by two games, you kind of have a, a pretty good idea what people do. And, and, I, and I think St. Mary's is a, in a little bit has the same philosophy we do realize you got to be able to run the ball but boy you can be so much better if you can also throw it because teams can't load up the box and so I think that's also where they're working to be is more diverse. What do you guys have to take away from the Blue Devils this week? Well the run game is their strongest and so you know I think we've got to show that we're a much better defense than we, we were last Friday night against the run game. Tackling is something you said was a rough point for you after that bye week. Has that been an emphasis this week? Yes, it has. And the strange thing about it, I thought through our first two scrimmages, and even in against Tyler, I thought we tackled well. And for for whatever reason, we did not show up to tackle Friday night. And so you got to believe that you know we're going to emphasize that again. But you got to believe that 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 was just an anomaly and that we get back to who, who we've always been. That's Ritchie County head coach Rick Ott. It's St. Mary's in Ritchie County. The kickoff is 7 o'clock Friday from Ellenboro. We'll have coverage on Light Rock 93R beginning with countdown to kickoff at 6. We move to the big school level now where Parkersburg welcomes Parkersburg South this week. These two teams didn't meet last year because of COVID issues, so they're extra excited to get back on the field. However, Parkersburg is dealing with some injury and COVID issues themselves as they've got several players either in quarantine or dealing with severe injuries, some of which are season enders. I sat down with both head coaches. First, you'll hear from PHS coach Mike Bias. We talk a little bit about their win against Capital, but largely about the adversity they've gone through with the injuries this season. Coach, it seems like defense has been the hallmark of this team. You've been really stepping up on the defensive side of the ball the last few weeks. What's helping you kind of come together to where you need to be, limiting a good passing team to less than 200 yards last week? Kids are playing well, putting a good scheme together the best we can with what we have left anyway. We're pretty depleted, so we're you know, we're trying to do the best we can to get 11 guys out there that understand the concepts of what we're trying to do. 
beyond the entry to King and the opener, what else do you have going on? My God, you don't have time. You absolutely don't have time. Uh, we would spend the whole time talking about that. We've got backups in for our backups, so between injuries and COVID and all that kind of stuff, I've just never personally gone through anything like this in my 38 years of coaching. Just snake bit bad luck? Somebody said, uh, my goodness, you got a black cloud hanging over you guys right now. And I said, well, I'm sure waiting on that wind to blow it away because just way over the top of things that I've ever had to deal with with a team. How has the team been able to stay together through it all? The core group of folks that worked really hard in the offseason, you know, they're always going to be the guys who stick together the best. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty close-knit group of kids. You know, they're just kind of getting depleted week after week, day after day almost. We've had to shut down the JVs for a while, and it's creeping. So we're a little worried about what's going to happen. Are they seeing now the value in off-season stuff, not so much only from a standpoint of getting better and, and lifting weights and conditioning, but also from building that camaraderie that you kind of have to have to pull together in tough times? Well, that's what I always preach. It's not just the value of you getting bigger, faster, and stronger. That's a great value. That's definitely a great value to you if you tell me you're wanting to play college football. That's individual part of it, but the lifting together with your teammates is the develops the camaraderie. It develops the fight instinct that uh, for your teammate. You don't want to give up on your teammates. You'll fight that much harder because you guys have worked so hard together in the weight room. And one of the biggest uh, benefits of it is the injury prevention. I've never been around a team with five broken bones, more or less all legs. We've had five broken legs. It's unbelievable. We've had appendix removed. We've had a couple personal issues that I wouldn't want to mention unless I had parents' permission that they're having to deal with that are just very unusual that's taken them out of uh, competition for at least for now. A couple of ours even happened just running. One was a tackle and got their leg rolled up under him. One was stalk blocking and the play ended up running up the back of their legs. One happened literally running and turning and getting his foot stuck in the turf and snapping the leg. We're down right now 15 people that should be on this football team. It was 13 and it, it rose the last couple of days. So I think some of that, and, and I won't say all of it, but you know, some of the folks that got hurt didn't do a real good job in the offseason of testing, pushing their muscle groups to the limit you know if, if your tendons and your ligaments and your muscle groups aren't doing you can't just come out here august 1st and start doing it and expect your body to respond properly yeah. if you haven't been training for that in the off season and we try to do it they just some of the guys that got hurt or some of the guys you beg to show up you know or they don't have weight room class so you beg them to come after school or but that's not all of them this year. We've just had some kids work their butts off and they still just unfortunate situations. And that's yeah. sports and that's life and that's things you have to deal with. It's just this year's been an inordinate amount. We're playing backups for their backups. We're, we're playing kids so far out of position that it, it makes every game look like a first game. We're not just dealing with a different lineup every week. We're dealing with practicing through one day to the next He's not here today, and he was already the back. I mean, we're down to like our fourth tailback. The starting tailback and backup tailback both are out with COVID, and we're both out last week too. So, you know, you got p people you're moving, and it's no wonder. Uh, at halftime, I felt like I'd worked as hard as I've ever worked just to call a formation, call a play, get a playoff, explain the play before it's snapped to the people who are holding up their hands like, what do I do? We can't expand on our offense because we can't 
get any continuity in personnel, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I know that one of the things that some of these injuries have forced you to do is to even reevaluate how you use someone like Bryson Singer, who I think was going to have a more multifaceted role in your offense, but it really seems like he's been a guy you tried to put in space, run the ball, and to catch the ball in the absence of some other guys. Is that, from what I'm understanding, am I understanding that correct, how you've tried to use him this year, given the absence of King, who was going to be one of your bigger pass catchers? Yeah, I mean, like I said, we were expecting to have four senior wide receivers this year through one issue or another. We won't go into all them, but last week it was three sophomores and a junior. One of those sophomores is out with an issue that he started developing during a football camp that he went to, and now he's got some infection developing, and he can't put a helmet on or have contact. He started it just last week. He was a starter. It just seems to go on and on and on and on, and we've had to play Bryson at some slot receiver. We've had to play Bryson at tailback because we're out of tailbacks. So at some point, it just becomes, okay, what is the biggest, strongest, fastest 11 kids we have? Let's get them on the field and figure out what we can do with that personnel because the personnel we did have is not here anymore. It's positionless football. It's almost backyard football. We're having to be really basic. We're having, we're not able to expand on things offensively very quickly. I don't ever, and I told Bryson this the other day, out of respect for his work ethic and out of respect for everything he's put into this program and what he means to this program, I don't ever move him anywhere without asking him. I don't tell him you're going to go do this. Not to mention, he's the first one to come to me and say, Coach, I can do this if it helps and, and somebody else can do that. And I don't just come up with ideas to move him from the quarterback position. And I, I've had that for all three years. People want to say, well, won't you just put him at running back? Well, yeah. if you look at the spread offense, if the running back beside of him is a capable runner and capable blocker, all you're doing is eliminating the middleman by taking another quarterback having to take the ball from the center and turn around and hand it to Bryson. Why not just snap it to Bryson? We've had to do, because of personnel issues, we've had to move some things around. And like I said, Bryson's the first one. He wants to do multiple things, and he's good at doing multiple things. And so you have to take somebody like him who can do something else and bring somebody else in who maybe can't do everything Bryson can do, but they can do this. Mm -hmm. And so you have to fit that into 11 people to give yourself. If we didn't do that and the kids didn't buy into doing that, we would have had no chance against a very much improved from week one capital team. Well, it's interesting because that's what I was going to ask you next about the buy-in because it seems like so many times in football there's the QB1 mentality. It sometimes gets viewed as a demotion if you move from quarterback to somewhere else despite the fact that, as you said, sometimes you improve your offense by making that overall gain. It takes a lot of selflessness to pull that off, not just from Bryson, but from a lot of other kids to make it work. Not just kids, too, sometimes. They don't understand. From Bryson's standpoint, everybody needs to understand that he's the first one to offer to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's what you got to do. There's absolutely no other choice sometimes with personnel when you lose player after player after I'm telling you, we're up to 15 or 16 kids down from what should be on this football team. Looking at the Patriots really quickly, they had an impressive looking game in their opener. They looked less than impressive in week two, a good deal more impressive in week three. Kind of a Jekyll and Hyde thing. Does that make it tough to get a feel on who they are and what they do? I mean, they're a pretty good football team, especially on offense, and they're not bad defensively. I think we've got a pretty good feel for for what they do, and uh, they looked really good last week. So, you know, we're going to have our, our hands full. And right now, honestly, we can't worry as much about what the opponent's doing as what we've got to piece together to honestly be able to play. I mean, right now we've got a couple positions 
that the starter and the backup, and I'm talking about after the 15 people that are gone, the people that are supposed to be here, right now I've got a starter and a backup homesick, not sure, we haven't, they haven't been able to practice all week. We might be out there taking a knee on every down if they make us play the game because we we're not we're running out of people. Coach, hopefully better times ahead and some better luck ahead for you. Thank you for your time. You got it. That's Parkersburg head coach Mike Bias on the other side of the coin. I sat down with Parkersburg South head coach Nathan Tanner. We talked about their win against Woodrow Wilson this week and about what the Patriots are expecting from PHS Friday night. Put up 60-plus points against Woodrow Wilson, scored the final 45 points of the game. Woodrow Wilson was surging in the second quarter, and then you slammed the door shut. What led to that? I felt like during the second quarter, we played ball for probably four or five minutes where we had some sloppy mishaps. The first onside kick that they recovered, I told you guys last Friday and the kids, I owned that one. They did a little middle onside, and we weren't prepared for it. So they executed it really well. I want to give kudos to their kicker. He was very good. He could kick it deep. He could do specialty kicks. He kind of do everything. The second onside kick they had, it was like a perfect onside kick. Skylar Whited, he was in great position to field it, but it popped like right at the last second. Once again, they executed a good onside kick and kind of had us reeling there for a little bit, but I thought our kids responded right before halftime after they scored twice and we scored two more times. And I think us scoring right there before half, that kind of slammed the door shut, like you were saying. Easy for me to look at Tristan Walker and see what he brings to your offense, but as you see it, what does he do to maybe take the top off of things and stretch the field? He's another kid out wide that's dynamic. Coming into the season, we knew that he had that ability. This summer, he showed a lot of promise and really grew as a player, you know, through all the seven-on-sevens and practices. He broke his scapula probably a week and a half before the season started, so that's kind of what set him back. Coming into the game, we weren't really sure how he would play and how he would perform. You know, he's only a sophomore, too. He caught two easy passes, two hitch routes, and scored both of them. The kid that he made miss is already signed to play at a Division One school, so we're really looking forward to what Tristan brings to the table. The second half against University was something you probably like to forget about. The second half against Capital wasn't your best half of the year either. To have a strong finish to this game, was that one of your bigger takeaways? What did that feel like, and what does that do for you going forward to have that kind of a finish? Yeah, it was definitely a strong takeaway. At halftime, we told the kids that the first six minutes of the second half would set the tone for the rest of the game. The score was 40 to 13 at that point, but we didn't want to take our foot off of the gas pedal quite yet. We kept preaching and talking about finishing and really starting that second half out strong. And I thought our kids came out and did that. And, you know, it kind of capitalized on the point of them playing a clean, complete football game. Easier to come into a game against PHS where your players know their players. Does that make it more difficult? I think it's advantageous, really. Because I think where a lot of our kids have played youth league and middle school with them, they know what their kids are capable of or lack thereof. You know, if if they've had an edge over somebody on that side of the river their whole life, you know, they have a different sense of confidence about them. It probably goes both ways, you know, for PHS kids towards South kids. They don't have to tell their kids what Cyrus Traw can do, but you also don't have to tell yours what Bryson Singer can do. Right, yeah. I I mean, I'm sure Bryson Singer to our kids is different than 
what Bryson Singer is to uh, Capital Kids. Our kids, I mean, they, they grew up around him. Yeah, I think our kids, they know what to expect, and they know what they're capable of, and they know what the kids from PHS are capable of as well. How do you try to stop someone like Singer, who does play so many different places? They'll use him in the backfield as a running back, as a quarterback, and they put him in a slot. How do you plan for that? It's really tough. First off, we got to get a line correctly um, based on what they do, and it's not even so much singer as it is you know their coaches putting their offensive system together they're they're very very diverse in what they do they give you spread looks they'll go empty they'll go unbalanced they'll bring in heavier personnel and get in the eye formation they'll go unbalanced out of the eye it's kind of a bear to prepare for just all those different formations. And um, with that being said, if you if you don't get lined up right, it just makes it tough to defend. Then on top of that, you got a kid like Bryson Singer, who can play quarterback, running back, receiver. He's really really fast. He's got good size. Uh, he can throw, catch, run, do everything. It makes it even more tough. So you know we just got to be on our A game with lining up correctly and reading our keys and responding how we need to. And main thing is, I told our kids yesterday at practice with Singer is you gotta keep leverage on the football at all times. He's kind of like the James kid from Capitol. If he gets going, you know, north-south, it's it's a long night. You've got a dual threat of your own in the backfield. Robert Shockey in three games has impressed running the ball and throwing the ball. Is this about what you expected? Has he performed better than you've expected in some respects? What has it been like to see the way he's played, the way he's developed early on the season? I think he's progressed how I thought he would, you know, as the season has gone on. We knew physically what he was capable of, but as you well know, as a whenever a guy's a sophomore, sometimes sometimes it's a mixed bag. They it, they don't perform to the ability that they have. But Robert, he's definitely doing that, and I think he's getting more and more comfortable at that position, and he's just getting better game by game. Does it mean more to see PHS after not having the chance to play them last year? The first time since Parker Rick South High School have been open that those two teams didn't play. Has there been some extra intensity because of that, or there's just a regular game? I think there is a little extra. Not just with our kids, but I think our coaching staff as well. Last year was a very tough season all around. Our kids were really looking forward to playing that game against PHS. When we didn't get to play, there were comments made to me, the kids, other coaches saying that we were dodging them, which is the farthest thing from the truth. (laughs) So um, I think our our kids are very hungry about the opportunity um, to prove what they can do. And uh, I think our coaches are excited. We've put together a game plan. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun this week. That's Parkersburg South head coach Nathan Tanner. It's Parkersburg South at PHS. Coverage on two of our stations begins at 6 p.m. with countdown to kickoff, live pregame at 7, and the kick between South and PHS at 7.30 for the Parkersburg South Centric Call. I'll have that with Bill Marshall and Randy Kinsolving on V96.9. And John Chalfant and Dave Grandy on WVAM, the True Oldies Channel, will have the Big Reds call of that classic rivalry matchup. Time now finally to go between the hash marks to discuss rivalries. I appreciate your patience because I know this has been a long episode episode. Hang in there. We got some more good stuff for you, though. As rivalries are at the forefront of our conversation this week, again, PHS and Parkersburg South and St. Mary's and Ritchie County squaring off this week. So what makes a rivalry great? I think a rivalry is great based on these things. You have to have a long common interest. You have to have two schools that are either from close proximity or from similar areas. But some of the best rivalries are those where there's just a common history.
history of tough games on the field. Maybe two communities that don't like each other. Maybe two teams that have had tough battles in history. So there are a few different things that make a rivalry a rivalry. The greatest rivalries have a few of those things in common. Not all of them do, but I think at the end of the day, a rivalry is defined by how it feels when you're in it. It's kind of like the Supreme Court describing obscenity. I know what it is when I see it. There are just some games that you can be around. There's an electric feel to them, and you can tell that you're engrossed in a rivalry matchup. Some of my favorite rivalries, well, we're going to get one here in a couple weeks when St. Mary's takes on Williamstown. St. Mary's and Ritchie is really emerging as one as well, especially given both of their successes last year and the recent success and the recent rise of the Ritchie County football program and the fact that in a lot of ways the blueprints are there in Ritchie County for that to be somewhat sustained over the long term. I think statewide you have to look at Parkersburg South PHS is a big one because I was talking about this on the V96.9 Morning Show with Jack Horton the other day. That rivalry is so great because those are two teams fighting for pride in one city. Most of these other rivalries are county rivalries where it's one side of the county versus the other side of the county, but there are so few where you look at one city in the state where there are two teams that represent different parts of that city and they go head to head. One of those that pops out would also make my list of best rivalries. How about University in Morgantown? I went to a couple Mohawk Bowl matchups when I was in college. They used to be held at Mountaineer Field because it was so big that it outgrew Morgantown's Pony Lewis Field, which at the time was housing both MHS and UHS football, similar to what Stadium Field used to do here in Parkersburg or back until Erickson All Sports Facility was built in the 90s. They eventually moved that off campus. Then University High School got Milan Pharmaceutical Stadium on campus, a beautiful new facility. So they moved that back to campus a few years ago, and that's kind of sparked that rivalry ever since. Look at Bluefield Graham in the southern part of the state. Those are border schools sharing the same city, just one on each side of the Virginia, West Virginia border. I like proximity. I like common history and two teams and communities that maybe just don't flat out like one another. Those are the things that I think make a rivalry great. Those are some of my favorite rivalries in the state. Tara Malone joins us to share some of his thoughts on rivalries and the ones that he likes. Plus, he'll give us his games of the week. Taryn? Yeah, Eric, and we take a look at our rivalry list, mostly statewide. My look in class single A between St. Mary's and Williamstown. St. Mary's leads the rivalry series 57. They've lost 33 games to Williamstown, and they've both tied once. They've both met in the playoffs just twice, actually, and they've met once in the class single-A state championship game. Williamstown won that game in 2014 by a final score of 33-32 to in triple overtime. We drop on down to class double-A. This rivalry series has really picked up in recent years between Fairmont Senior and the Bluefield Beavers. This series is tied at six games apiece between the two squads, Fairmont Senior winning six and also Bluefield winning six. Both of these squads have actually met twice in the playoffs as well, both in recent years in 2020 and 2019. However, these two squads have met twice in the Class AA state championship game in back-to-back years. Bluefield won it in 2017, while Fairmont Senior won it in 2018. And then, of course, in Class AAA, one of my favorite rivalries so far in recent years, Yet again, Spring Valley and Capital Midland. Spring Valley leads the rivalry series 12 to 11. In the playoffs, these squads have battled between one another three different times. Meanwhile, Cabell Midland hasn't beaten Spring Valley since 2017. And then we'll take a quick look at my local and statewide games of the week this week, Eric. In class single A, one and one St. Mary's will travel to two and O Ritchie County. In class double A, two and one Point Pleasant will travel to one and O Oak Glen. And finally, in class triple A, my local game of the week, two and one Parkersburg South at one and two Parkersburg.
And we conclude today's segment with the statewide games of the week this week, Eric. In class single A, two and one, Williamstown will travel to one and O Buffalo. Meanwhile, it's a Thursday night game between two and O Lincoln and two and O Nicholas County. And finally, in class triple A, three and O Huntington taking on three and O George Washington. That was a look at my local and statewide games of the week. Eric, back to you. Thanks, Taryn. That's a great point you make about St. Mary's in Williamstown and Fairmont Senior in Bluefield that I had forgot to mention. Playoff history and especially state championship game history really stokes those fires. Of course, Fairmont Senior and Bluefield fall into the category of two schools that don't come from a close proximity but have played some classic battles in the past. St. Mary's and Williamstown just 20 miles apart, but at the same time, those two schools have met in the playoffs twice and then a state championship appearance on one very notable occasion. Again, great battles and good thoughts on the issue, Taryn. Well, if you've been with us this long, you deserve a medal, but thank you for sticking around. I feel like this is perfunctory at this point, but we give you the games of the week. We've been talking for much of this pod about St. Mary's and Ritchie County and South and PHS. Goes without saying that the rivalries, but the records as well. PHS looking to even their record at 2-2, two and two, while South is looking to start the season 3-1. and one. And then St. Mary's and Ritchie both have already had their bye weeks, so Ritchie looking to pick up their third win of the year, while St. Mary's looking to poke above 500 for the first time. And my other game of the week is Marietta and Ripley. Marietta's won back-to-back games. Again, 11 touchdowns in two games from Zach Bartlett. We'll see if they can make it a third straight as they take on the Ripley Vikings. Ohio's playoff field is now expanded, so 16 teams get in. And in this week's OHSAA rankings, Marietta is 15th in their division. So they are firmly within that 16, but if they can continue to move up and get closer to the middle of the pack, that first game may be a winnable playoff game for the Tigers. On Seven Ranges Radio this week, Light Rock 93R has St. Mary's Ritchie, while on both WVAM and and V96.9 will have Parkersburg South and PHS. The WVAM broadcast with John Chalfit and Dave Grandy will be the PHS-centric one. And then for the South respective, I'll be on the call with Bill Marshall and Randy Kinsolving on V96.9. Like us on Facebook at the Eric Little High School Football Podcast if you haven't already done so. Again, new episodes drop every Wednesday. If you've listened this far, you probably know that much by now. But if this is your first time listening, hey, this is an every Wednesday thing. You can find us on SoundCloud through a subscription to us there. Or subscribe on Apple Podcasts and it'll be dropped into your podcast folder and you'll have to do nothing every Wednesday. You'll get a notification on your phone when it drops in the folder and it's easy as that. The best way to find us is just subscribe on Apple Podcasts on your iPhone and there you go. It's right there for you or just make a note of it and find us every Wednesday. Hey, next week we'll share some reactions from all of this week's action and plus we'll talk about a couple other things. Lots of unsportsmanlike conduct penalties in West Virginia and, and lots of scrapping after the play at all levels of football anymore. We'll share some thoughts on that and uh, have a lot more for you next week on the program. Thank you for sticking with us for an extra long jam-packed edition of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. We'll talk to you again next week and until then enjoy the games everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode and thanks for listening.